This afternoon I proclaim to you the word as we confess that in Lord's Day 9 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 9, I'll read also in conjunction with that Article 1 of the Belgic Confession. We begin with Lord's Day 9. The first article then of the Apostles' Creed. What do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? That the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and all that is in them, and who still upholds and governs them by his eternal counsel and providence, is for the sake of Christ his Son, my God and my Father. In him I trust so completely as to have no doubt that he will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul and will also turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this life of sorrow. He is able to do so as Almighty God and willing also as a faithful Father. And then we'll read together also Article 1 of the Belgian Confession, page 501 in the Book of Praise. Article 1, there is only one God. We all believe with the heart and confess with the mouth that there is only one God who is a simple and spiritual being. He is eternal, incomprehensible, invisible, immutable, infinite, almighty, perfectly wise, just, good, and the overflowing fountain of all good. So far, our confessions. Brothers and sisters in the Lord and boys and girls who belong to the Lord. Back in the 1950s, somebody wrote a book entitled, Your God is Too Small. Your God is Too Small. It's a good read, yet even today, it's been reprinted lots of times, and, and uh, I checked on, on the Internet. It's still available today, Amazon. This book is divided into two parts. In the first part, the writer addresses all kinds of different inadequate conceptions that people may have of God, which cause him to be too small for, for us, for adult comprehension and respect and trust. He becomes so small and depersonalized that he simply becomes a kind of a vague, God becomes a vague abstraction, too small. And then that writer also adds, and the fate of those whose God is too small is idolatry and disappointment, and finally, in the end, unbelief. So in the second part of the book, the writer attempts to show from Jesus Christ, from the words of Christ, especially from his Beatitudes, that our God is a lot greater than we often conceive him to be. And he is abundantly worthy of all our respect and devotion and especially our trust. Congregation, 
that's in that book, but this is something we have to watch, for, uh, watch out for all the time, isn't it? That we make our God too small. But that's why it's good to pay attention this afternoon to what we confess in the first article of the Apostles' Creed about God the Father, the almighty creator of heaven and earth. And I proclaim to you the word of God as we confess that in this Lord's Day with this theme, God our Father is great. Great in power in the first place. Secondly, great in goodness. Thirdly, great in patience. Fourth, great in his care for us. First of all, great in power. I believe in God the Father, the almighty creator of heaven and earth. And that's how the Apostles' Creed then begins. Our God and Father is the almighty creator. He spoke and it came to be. In six days, everything that exists, originates with him, comes from his almighty power. And he still upholds and sustains it all by his power too. Continues to make sure that life can keep going here on earth as long as he wants it to. Because the earth, for instance, thanks to the atmosphere, the the life is still possible here on earth. The earth is the exact right distance from the sun so that we don't freeze or we don't burn up. As far as we know, the circumstances for life are found nowhere else in the whole universe as they are here on earth. And everything there is maintained then by our God and Father, Almighty Father, who created it in the first place by his power. And the Bible is full of examples of God's great power after his creation too. God liberated his people who were so often enslaved and attacked by other nations greater than them. And the Bible also relates how people experience God's powerful and helping hand in their personal life. We read Psalm 70 where David, for instance, expresses amazement at God's saving power for him. He says, verse 4, Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation say continually, Let God be magnified. And the original is actually said, Let God say continually, God is great. Let them say continually, God is great. Now, if I look at the news and you can see video clips of people fighting Islamist fighters in Syria and Iraq and they they always cry out Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbar every time they shoot their guns or their mortars Allahu Akbar which means Allah is great how much more should we Continually say with David about our God and Father in Christ, the God of salvation, that God is great. What a wonderful thing the Almighty God has made us his own and that he is our God in Christ. Nobody 
has as much power to save, not only to make, but to save as he does. No one can hold him back from doing what he determines. Think of what it says in hymn 71, verse 1. He rules creation from on high. All that his love and grace endeavor shall him his power not deny. The Pharaoh of Egypt, he was the, the mighty leader of the known world at the time that Israel was in Egypt. He had the greatest army of all, chariots and horsemen. But he ultimately had to bow before the God of Israel. And that God is the same God that we call our God and Father today. Also today, the hearts of kings and rulers are like streams of water in the hands of God, it says in Proverbs. Obama, Harper, Putin, all the world leaders, they can't do anything. They cannot do a thing unless God Almighty deems it beneficial for his kingdom and church for his purpose. Sadly, though, we don't often really say God is great. The jihadists say it every time they shoot a rocket or they shout it when they go on the attack, like in Paris recently. You might have seen the news video and they, where they, are, they shout that out. Allahu Akbar. It doesn't sound nice to us as Christians, but the thing is they do magnify their God, be it with violence. Maybe we should say it more often of our God and Father in Christ. Magnify Him. Sometimes we do, I'm sure, when we see something beautiful or experience something amazing. For instance, if we're impressed by the ferocity of a storm or when we hold a, a new life in our arms, a newborn baby. Even then, we don't always say it. Maybe we think something like it, but we don't always say it. Maybe that's something we ought to do more. Magnify our God in his great power. How great our God is, how awesome his power. And how great he is in his goodness too. And that's the second part of the sermon this afternoon. Our father is great in goodness. So we touched on his power. His almighty power. And if you think about how great his power is, then it can make you feel small sometimes, you know. Maybe you stood outside during a storm, felt the power of the tempest, or you saw the effects of a hurricane caused a lot of death and destruction last month. They remembered the destructive, that destructive tsunami in the Pacific Ocean which killed a quarter of a million people, washed them away in just a few moments Maybe you saw some footage of that on television at the time. People who were there in Thailand or Sri Lanka took videos. Huge waves just washed away homes and cars and people and nobody could stop the wave. Nobody could stop it. People were powerless. And this showed in God's great power 
Is God's power something for us to be frightened of, something that scares us? Well, not if you really know him from the gospel. He can show his power at times just to humble people. But he's not out to just destroy at random. No, he's, he's great in power, but also great in his goodness. Think of what it says in Psalm 33, verse 5. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. We don't always see that, but it's full of the goodness of the Lord. Or think of Psalm 103. The psalmist reminds us not to forget God's goodness. All his benefits. And then he mentions some of them. He forgives our iniquities, heals our diseases, redeems our lives from destruction. God the Father, our creator, gave us life. And he wants us to taste and see that he is good. And for the sake of his son Jesus Christ, he is my God and my Father as we confess in Lord's Day 9. Thanks to Jesus Christ, the exalted and powerful God comes close to us in a father-child relationship. That's how Jesus himself expresses that in, in that part we read from John 16. He says in 16 verse 27, For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me. And have believed I came from God. And just think about that. Think about it. The almighty God creator of heaven and earth. Of the whole universe. Great in power. Loves you. He loves you as his own child. Because of Christ his son. And because you belong to him. And because he loves you. He only wants the good for you. Even more than earthly fathers want the good for their children. Maybe you wonder yet, but there are things in my life which I certainly don't experience as the overflowing good of God my Father in Christ. Why doesn't he take away my pain or the sorrow in my heart or my depression if he really loves me and wants only the good for me? Why does he allow trouble or adversity to affect me and, or any of his children? Lord's Day 9 also mentions the adversity he sends me in this life of sorrow. Why does he send me that adversity if he's so great in his power and also in his goodness? Well, there's no simple answer to that. We live in a, in a broken world and, and it's broken because of our sins and sinfulness. Human responsibility can play a role in what we suffer too. If I smoke a lot of cigarettes, I also have to accept the responsibility if I get lung cancer because of that. And if I drive carelessly, I shouldn't blame God for not taking care of me if I end up in hospital with broken bones because of a car accident. So adversity can certainly also include human responsibility. But there are also situations where we, we have to say there's no direct linked to irresponsible activity on the part of the person who suffers that adversity. For instance, if you end up with multiple sclerosis, MS, or you end up being shot in a robbery as a bystander, innocent bystander. But also that suffering, we have to say, is ultimately a result of our common fall into sin, for that fall for which we also are all responsible 
That's why this life is a life of sorrow, as Lord's Day 9 calls it. And then we have to accept that too. Our our Father in Heaven sends us adversity in this fallen life, this life of sorrow. However, when He sends that adversity to His children here in this life, it's not to punish them, but it's to turn to their good, to, to work for their good, to discipline them so that they grow in their dependence on Him. If our Father in Heaven didn't allow any adversities to befall His children, what would happen? We'd all fall away from Him. We'd forget Him. So adversity may be punishment for people who ignore Him, but for His children in Christ, it's never punishment. It's always for their good. All our adversity is disciplined for good, so we mature in Christ. And you realize what that means, don't you, brothers and sisters, boys and girls? It means that in Christ, our Father in heaven is always, always good to us, even in our adversity, that we can confess that, that we magnify his goodness. And that might be sometimes hard to understand and accept You hear the the struggle to accept that in the Psalms of Lament, for instance. Where are you, God? But eventually believers do find their peace with God again, even in their adversity. And then eventually they see that God, even in that, was good for them. But that takes time. And then they come to praise Him for His Great goodness again to magnify him. Think of Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. David says there, he certainly dealt with adversities. He went through the shadow, the, the valley of the shadow of death, but he trusts that as child of the Father, he doesn't need to fear any evil. God's goodness is greater even than death's. And that's why he says in the last verse of Psalm 23, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He knows God's goodness. He praises God for his goodness. So God is great in his power, great in his goodness. Also, in the third place, great in his patience. Congregation, we're often pretty impatient with God, aren't we? Sometimes we get angry with him. Why doesn't he change this or or do that, make things better for me or better for that other person? Our almighty God and Father in Christ, however, we have to confess is also incredibly patient with us. We, We read in the Bible that God punishes people who ignore him. But he can also let them go on with that rejection of him. And then he lets them go on with that because he gives them time to repent, time to see what they're actually doing. How long did God not put up with the evil and the violence of mankind before he finally sent that great flood? Hundreds, maybe even thousands of years, thousands of years. And how often wasn't God patient with Israel? 
in the desert, when they went through the desert, and later on when Israel forsook him and went after other gods, he, he didn't punish right away. He warned his people time and again. He sent them prophets and teachers to warn them. And it took a long time before he finally banished Israel to Babylon. And even then, he let a remnant return to the land of their fathers again. The Bible is full of God's great patience. When your children or your grandchildren stray away from the Lord because they can't figure out their life and what they want to believe, God gives them time to find him again. But the other side of that is that God also gives his enemies time and space to do evil in order to fill the measure of their wickedness so that he can show his just punishment in the, in the end, in the future. And it's sometimes hard for us to understand and accept then too that God waits, that God waits and waits. Why is he not doing something here? That he is patient with those who pervert justice and rob the poor and kill the innocent? You know, you sit there and you watch the news and it gets hard to watch what is happening there in Syria and in Iraq or in Ukraine where bombs keep flying and people keep dying, where God gives man's wickedness free reign so that so many innocent people, also children, suffer. You see them coming into the camps with nothing. And when you watch the news from those places, you just wish Jesus would return in glory very soon in order to judge justly and to set everything right. However, at other times, you know, when you're, you're happy and you enjoy life and look forward to a wedding or the birth of a child or a new job to challenge you, then you maybe think, well, Jesus, you can wait for a while yet. The thing is, those kind of matters can have two sides, right? God's patience is great. But that also means that, that evil continues to exist. His patience is great gives time to repent, for people to repent. But that also means that, that he allows that evil to continue. And we can pray with the psalmist, Psalm 70, verse 6, O Lord, do not delay. But we need to be patient then too. For God's time isn't the same as our time. Our plans are not his plans. Our troubles maybe continue. The war in Syria and Iraq keep going, keeps going. The killing of Christians in Nigeria goes on. Let's not complain to God, though. God's patience means that the measure of iniquity and of righteousness isn't full yet. And that gives us time to repent and to change and make things right with God yet. It's good that our Almighty God and Father has such great patience. Let's not misuse the time that He gives us yet to bear fruit for Him. We come to the fourth and last part of the sermon this afternoon. God is great in power and goodness and in patience, also great in his care for us. Congregation, we could mention more characteristics of God that show his greatness. We read Article 1 of the Belgian Confession. A lot of God's characteristics are mentioned there. He is perfect and great in all. His wisdom, his righteousness, his holiness. But 
His care or attention fits more with the confession of him as our father in Christ. The name father implies care. Father cares for his children. The God who made everything out of nothing upholds it all in his goodness and patience also takes care of us as his children. He takes care of the birds and the flowers. So wouldn't he take care of his children in Christ? He's a loving father, as we mentioned before, very involved in the life of each one of us from day to day, moment to moment. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew 10 that he pays attention to the sparrows which are sold for a copper coin in the marketplace. A dime a dozen, we could say. Nobody, not one of those sparrows falls to the ground apart from God's will. And how many sparrows don't fall to the ground every day? And he knows it. He keeps track of it. And imagine then how he keeps track of your life. And imagine how much he cares for you in Christ. His children purchased with the precious blood of his eternal son. Would he even let any of us escape his attention even for a moment? We're worth a lot to him. More than any and many sparrows. Think of the well-known Psalm 121. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He's not going to nod off even for a moment because our, his eyes are heavy or so or because he's fed up with us or tired of us. No, he shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore, he says. At no time are you not under his fatherly attention and in the sphere of his fatherly love and care. His care for us is also great beyond understanding. You realize, congregation, if you think about it, if God is so great in these things already, then our trust in him should also be great, shouldn't it? Yeah, it's easier to trust him when things are going well for us. Then it's easy for us to say God is great. But God is also great when adversity strikes us and trustworthy. Then we have to accept that his ways are higher than our ways. Then we can say with the book of Job, chapter 36, Behold, God is great and we do not understand him. We easily criticize what he does, don't we, actually? Sometimes have a hard time accepting how he works. If I was God, I would do it a lot differently. But then we have to say, too, instead, God is great. He knows what he's doing. Even if we question him at the time, God is great. After all, faith is believing what you can't see and don't understand. His power is great, even if we don't see it. God's goodness is great, even if we don't experience it always. Great because Christ has come. 
And our Father in Christ is loving, even if we don't experience that at the time either. And God's patience is great. And so we need to be patient too also with each other. And God's care for us is great, even if we sometimes feel like sparrows in this world. Let's praise the Lord our God for his greatness. And especially, congregation, let's trust him so completely as to have no doubt that he will always take care of us, always, in everything, in every situation. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, how great you are. Great in your power. Great in goodness. Great in patience. Wonderful and great in your care for your people. Grant that we don't make you small, but that we always, always trust you and magnify you in your greatness. Every day again, amen.